to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and special guest. Episode number 51 for October 7th, 2011. Yeah, so this is our third Listener's Choice episode and today we have Casey with us. Hi, Casey. Hello. Hi. And Casey is a big fan of Voyager. So we're doing a Voyager episode. Yay. So just a little bit of background on my Facebook page, or actually on the uh, Star Trek Comic Book Reviews Facebook page. This is maybe a slight exaggeration, but every time I post a, uh update of the new episode we're posting every week, I get something from Casey that says, do a Voyager episode, do a Voyager episode. <laughs> So, and here we are. Here we are. So, Casey, uh, just a little background on you. You uh, obviously Voyager is your favorite. Yes, it's actually the only one I know at all, really. To be honest, <laughs> another specialist. But, but Which might be why it's my favorite, theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done something that we haven't, and you've read a lot more of the Voyager novels than Ken or I have. So um, you're I've guy. read. Like three of them so far, so not a lot, but yeah, some of them. Still more than us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, Voyager novels are the ones that I have read the least of. Second only yeah. to Deep Space Nine ones. That's surprising. I thought that was your favorite. It is my favorite, but I know that the novels aren't going to change the overarching story, and I see Deep Space Nine as being one long story, but they don't interest me. The same reason why Voyager ones don't interest me that much is because... I know they're not going to make it at the end of that that book, so why waste my time reading it? <laughs> yeah, the ones I've read are like after the series has ended, so they are interesting. Yeah, I've actually read the first two of those, and and they were good. The um, homecoming. Homecoming. Farther sure. But uh, but anyways, but we're not talking about the books. We're here to talk about the first three issues of the Marvel series that started in 1996. I think, Ken, you have the, the honor of doing the first one? I do. And the first one is titled The Storm, and it was published November 1996. The writer is Lori S. Sutton. Penciler is Jesus Radando. Letters, Chris Elipolos. I knew I'd slaughter that one again. Colorist is John Calais. Editor is Bobby Chase. Editor-in-chief is Bob Harras. The upper half of the cover shows Voyager in front of what appears to be a sun close-up. The lower half is populated by the majority of the bridge crew, phasers drawn, and running with determined looks on their faces. The cover promises an action-packed time ahead. The story opens up on Voyager's bridge with Captain Janeway at the con, First Officer Jacote at her side, and Tom Paris at the helm. A narration box tells us Voyager is on its 70,000 light-year journey from the Delta Quadrant back home to the Alpha Quadrant. We also find out Janeway is the first to captain the Voyager, which is an intrepid class vessel. 
They are diverted from their course home to answer a call for help from a vessel caught in an ion storm. As they approach, they recognize the ship as a Talaxian vessel. They brave the dangers of the ion storm and go in for the rescue. The title page is a beautiful two-page spread showing a close-up of the Talaxian ship with sparks and lightning from the ion storm all around it. The title, The Storm, is in a modified Star Trek The Motion Picture yellow font. The story takes us back two hours to the Voyager holodeck where Janeway, Tom, Paris, and Neelix, the ship's resident Talaxian, are all enjoying a new park program of Tom and Neelix's invention. Even the captain's dog Molly is recreated. The crew can take a break from their stressful duties and relax in this natural environment. Even the doctor is enjoying some fishing. A baseball game starts up, compliments of Deep Space Nine and Commander Sisko's sub-program. Tuvok's Vulcan Strength hits a home run into where the doctor is fishing. Perturbed, the doctor's mood is improved when Cass comes by for a chat. Snap back to the present, Captain Janeway is dealing with the dangerous rescue. They attempt to use tractor beams from a distance, but they fail to grab onto the craft. Engineer Taurus comes up with some technobabble that might solve the problem by improving the tractor beam's efficiency in the ion storm. Voyager begins to take significant damage, and the tractor beam emitters are damaged. Transporters are too risky in the ion storm, so the captain gives the order to move Voyager into the asteroid field to get closer to the Talaxian ship. With the shields down to 45%, they can no longer extend them around the Talaxian ship and beam the Talaxians off. Struggling for a solution, the captain orders Voyager's landing gear to be deployed. They will physically grab the Talaxian ship and drag them out of the storm. Not long after physically grabbing the Talaxian ship, Voyager experiences increasing difficulty in moving out of the ion storm with the additional mass in an awkward location. Eventually, one of the landing gear struts come clean off. The Talaxian hull buckles and begins to crush like an eggshell. Though extremely dangerous, Janeway orders an attempt to transport the Talaxians off the ship. The transporters pull them off their crumbling ship, but before they can be rematerialized on Voyager's transporter pads, an ionic discharge hits and they are yanked away into a quantum fissure. I hate it when that happens. The transporter chief says they, chief says they could be anywhere in time or space. To be continued. One of the things I noticed also um, was that whenever they have the holodeck program, they have, like, Janeway seems really happy that Molly is there to greet her. And I didn't think that that would be very likely because, yeah, why would they recreate this dog from her homeworld? I would think that that would be more sad for her than joyous. But she seems to be totally cool with it, so that's cool, I guess. Yeah, I actually thought the same thing. I I thought that that was maybe a little tacky. I mean, it would be the same thing as having the children that that for the parents on Voyager, you know, oh, we'll just go to the holodeck and recreate your children on the holodeck. It'll be the same thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I just can't imagine being very happy to see just a holographic 
copy of, of my dog or, or something else that I once loved. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. But, I mean, if she's used to the idea of the hologram and she knows it a ho- it's a hologram, but still somehow it uh, brings her a little joy to see the dog again, it's like, eh, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, I definitely agree with your, your thoughts, especially when you brought the, the idea of people's children into it. <laughs> well, it is the only only tie she has to the, the Alpha Quadrant except for her boyfriend or right. whatever he was. Significant other. Hologram. <laughs> well, he, oh, hologram. Which hologram. Right, right. Her real, her, real, her real boyfriend, but then she has her holographic boyfriend. Right. Well, okay, so is there's... Is he really a, her boyfriend? I mean, isn't she more her... She's the nanny, right, to his kids? Right. Love interest type hologram, I guess. Gotcha. That can get complicated. <laughs> well, that's the whole problem with the holodeck, holodeck isn't it? Because if you could recreate anything in the holodeck, why would you have any social interaction anymore at all? <laughs> why would you leave? Exactly. I would leave. I would be there all the time. I'd never I, I can make my world, my life work out just the way I want it. All right, so I have like a personal comment on this issue, uh, and it has nothing to do with the story per se. I didn't get this issue when it first came out. I got it a couple of uh, years after it was already released, and I went to a, uh, a half-price bookstore, which is like a used bookstore here. With my uh, younger sister, she's about 14 years younger than me, and uh, she did not like Star Trek, but she liked Star Wars, and I remember taking her to see First Contact, and then when we went to the bookstore, they had uh, a whole bunch of number ones of this Marvel series, so they had Voyager number one, Deep Space Nine number one, and things like that, so that's when I actually bought this issue, so every time I think about this particular issue, I think about... Star Wars? That look. Your Not sister? that Star Wars, but just being with my sister, <laughs> buying this comic book at a used bookstore and getting a really good deal. Cool. Oh, uh, that's sweet. Hey, I'm a sweet guy. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken, do you have a comment? I thought the uh, ship drawings were pretty good. All the Ionic stuff going on. Kind of pretty. Uh, good. I, you know, ships look good. Um, the people drawings are a little less um, impressive than the ship drawings, although not bad. You know, it's it, it's pretty good art all the way around, but something off about the faces of the actors. It's a little cartoony. Mm-hmm. And you say that about the ship drawings. I like the ship drawings with the exception of when they're trying to show the shields around the ship and they just draw it as this white circle around the ship. It, it just looked a little odd to me because shields are spherical, not just a little <sighs> ring or ship. Good I know point. it's nitpicky, but it, it just looks weird because they don't even in between where the the line of the shield is and the ship, it's all black in most right. of these. Yeah, and it just it just looks weird to me. Yeah, when they bother showing it. I mean, there's other places right. where where you figure they probably have the shields up, but I know what you're talking about. Where it's obvious they've got it up, and it's it is kind of a, it looks like there's a frisbee, an uh, elongated frisbee around Voyager, that's white. Right. Yeah, I mean I have the same argument when you know when when Praxis blows up in Star Trek Six, uh, it blows up in a ring, and they're able to ride it out like a, a wave, which obviously would be a spherical shock wave, not a, not like a ring wave, if right. that makes any sense. 
It does. Anyways, I understand. It, it's a visual medium, and if they showed the shields completely, oh, uh, completely one color, you wouldn't see the ship. So I get it. I just don't like it. Right. As you get far enough in this issue and the next one, it's kind of um, – I'm getting a little sick of seeing this little jaggy yellow-red kind of uh, energy drawings all over the place. <laughs> I mean, they keep, I mean, it's fine. They keep on doing it, and it's like everywhere, and it's like – I don't know. It just gets a little bit much after a while. But hey, You're not going to like the next issue then, Ken, at all. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, because they got that same kind of thing going on on the cover of the next issue. It's like, Jesus likes that kind of thing. He likes the color yellow and drawing things jaggy with it. So you mentioned Jesus. He's going to be on the Voyager comic until issue 12. But uh, I kind of looked. He hasn't really done a lot of other comic books. So this was kind of his longest run. Oh, cool. So, well, anyway, but the, the writer, though, Lori Sutton, she this is her last Voyager issue until issue 10 and then she'll come back for all the way to the end i hate bad mouthing somebody because this is somebody's work but these three issues aren't that good yeah does anybody not agree with me am i way off i don't think so okay yeah i'd say that they're mediocre yeah (laughs) yeah there's a lot of they did a lot of techno babble in it which is okay to some degree but yeah Every other thing Bellana was saying, it was like the quantum fissure subspace field amplifier to tighten the focal control patterns of the tractor beam. Wow. I mean, just like, ah, ah. Yeah, that is from the show. (laughs) Well, I know, but, you know, between... Which I really like. I'm like, okay, you know. I don't get, yeah, it's like, whatever they have to say, it's just like, okay, I just totally take it. It's like, yep, that works. (laughs) That sounds sounds scientific. We'll go with that. Well, yeah, it's just... Between Voyager and definitely Next Gen, very techno babble heavy, and I'm, I'm not I'm not always crazy about it when they seem to go overboard with it. But hey, that's fine. So you'd rather them do it like Doctor Who, where he just says, uh, basically, timey wimey, timey wimey, temporal thingies. <laughs> yeah, you, you like that? That's that's dumbing it down enough. Well, that's going in another direction. <laughs> that might be too far, but. Yeah. So uh, just real quick about the holodeck thing, uh, in addition to the Molly being there. Did it seem random to you guys that, I mean, they start the story and then they say two hours later and then they go to this holodeck scenario and it really didn't serve a purpose to the story at all. I mean, I guess to introduce the characters, but if you're reading... Maybe also because later on in the series trilogy thing, the holodeck has such an important role in the third one. So perhaps they were trying to show how the holodeck was working completely fine prior to the ion storm. Eh, maybe. Uh, to be honest, I thought it was going to have something to do with the fishing uh, scenario. Like, like mm-hmm. that's how they were going to capture the the Talaxian ship because they'll remember the doctor fishing, but that didn't come to fruition. So I, I was just curious as to. Seemed kind of random, like kind of like filler. Yeah, there you go. There's yeah. a magic word, filler. When we finally resolve all of this, when we get to the third issue, we'll we'll talk about it more. But I, I was it was a little unclear to me, but it seems like they might have actually used the holodeck to help with the solution uh, to, yeah. the, well, well, to, to, to to these uh, Talaxians. 
And I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, spoilers. Spoiler <laughs> alert. No, I'm not going to spoil it. But I'm not sure. But I think in the in the resolution later on down the line, I think they use the holodeck. But I really do think it's it's like filler. I mean, it's like you know some of these. They, they have three different two page spreads. You know, spreads that you know that, that'll take up two pages, and that almost. I mean, they did it three times, and that I, I kind of like them. I mean, they're they're kind of cool graphically, but it seemed like they were getting a little much with it, and that sure is a good way to burn up some pages. Yeah, well, this is the '90s, and and comic books were pretty pretty well known for doing that kind of stuff. Hmm. Well, I don't remember other issues we reviewed going over it quite as frequently as this one, but yeah. It probably was in vogue. So, any other comments, Casey? No, I am ready to move on, I think. I, I have one I last have... thing to mention real quick. Oh, uh, well, fine, go ahead, Casey. Fine, go ahead. <laughs> I just want to comment on the Starfleet Academy comic that Marvel was ad- advertising, coming in 1996, towards the back yeah. of the issue. Uh, right. So that was a, uh, a series? Yeah, it was about Nog being in uh, Starfleet Academy. Oh, Nog at Starfleet. Okay, Academy. Great. Yeah. Well, he joins the, uh, what is it, the Omega Red or whatever that Wesley right. was in in that one episode of original uh, Next Generation where Paris was in it. Right. Par- Paris was in it, but he was a different guy. Right. <laughs> the actor Duncan McNeil or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, see, that, I've seen that one. <laughs> because of that exact reason. I was like, I'm going to watch the Tom Paris episode, yes. <laughs> where he is in Tom Paris. But he basically plays the same character. I wish they would have just said that that was him. I looked it up, and they said that the reason why they didn't use that exact character and they changed it to Tom Paris was because they didn't want to pay the rights to use that exact name. Oh, really? And that was the reason why they just made him into another character. Because huh. basically, yeah, he could have just transferred right over. And quite so frankly, I thought he was the same character when I first uh, saw Voyager. Huh, so he was, that's, they didn't want to pay rights to the... Writer? The author? To the writer of that, that Next Generation episode? I guess. That's what I read, anyway, on some Voyager something or other. But, yeah, because I, I wanted to watch that episode. I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, but they did the same thing with Miles O'Brien. He was the transporter chief on the Enterprise, and then he transferred over to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, how'd they get around the writer's royalties or whatever in that situation. Uh, maybe they didn't. They said, Miles is so good, we need an A player on Deep Space <laughs> He has to carry the series. Well, not quite. Until Worf, until Worf, until Worf gets there. there. <laughs> yeah. right. That's a good point, Casey. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, he plays the exact same character. It's this cocky pilot guy. Pilot, yeah. <laughs> cocky pilot guy. Top gun guy. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking Han Solo, but okay. Don't get cocky, kid. All right, we ready for issue number two? Let's do it. So. All right, so Voyager issue number two came out December 1996, entitled Under Ion Skies. And I believe all the credits are the same, so I won't go through that. So we start off with the cover, and it shows Chakotay, Neelix, and six random Talaxians are all caught up in an electrical energy blast. Uh, they all seem to be looking at some sort of attacker off-screen. The story starts off in the transporter room on Voyager, and it is ablaze with electrical arcs as the six Talaxians are being beamed away from their battered ship. 
the transporter chief informs them that they are losing their patterns. Voyager is rocked violently as they are struck by huge discharge from the ion storm around them. The transporter chief exclaims that he had them for a second, but their patterns were yanked away into a quantum fissure. With this information, Janeway orders the release of the Talaxian ship, which promptly is destroyed. I guess she was pretty confident that they weren't still on the ship. Paris is able to guide the ship out of the asteroid belt and the ion storms. Janeway and Taurus investigate the transporter bed to find clues on the missing Talaxians. Taurus is able to trace the quantum fissure to an alternate dimension, and she proposes that they could be able to beam a small party into the fissure and then return them back with the lost Talaxians. Neelix and Chakotay both volunteer. They are both equipped with tracking devices, and they are on their way after a quick farewell to Kess. And the farewell was more Neelix and Kess, not Chakotay, just to be clear. The duo find themselves in a crystalline planet that is supercharged with electrical currents. It's kind of like walking around on a giant static-charged balloon. So they're searching the world, and they find the huge crystal city in the distance. They approach a building within the city and are zapped a bit by an electrical form of some sort, kind of like a giant electrical amoeba. Acting on impulse, Neelix fires his phaser at the floating form. This causes a huge explosion, and the static electricity intensifies. They are able to eventually take refuge within one of the buildings. So we go back to Voyager, and Kim is going over the readings from the counter with the Talaxian ship. Janeway starts to wonder if the distress call was actually a real call for help and not perhaps some sort of trap. Back on the other dimension, within the crystal building, Chakotay and Neelix find the Talaxians. They try to initiate the transporter, but the building is blocking their signals. They have to venture out to get a good signal. But as they are trying to exit, the energy beings are blocking their way. After a few failed attempts, Chakotay uses his tricorder and is able to create pulses that the beings are able to translate into language. He is able to communicate them, and we learn that the beings were only trying to keep them from harming themselves outside on the crystal planet. They allow the humans and the Talaxians to exit the building, and Chakotay gives the signal, and they are beamed away. On Voyager, on the transporter pad, the dimensional travelers are greeted by Torres, Kess, Tuvok, and several security guards. The Talaxian leader quickly grabs a phaser and holds it to Chakotay's temple. He states that the Trabe want Voyager's advanced technology and has paid the mercenaries to get it by any means necessary to be continued. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting, this might be me reading into it a little bit too much, but the part where they they beam back all the Talaxians and Neelix into the transporter room, and there's this woman Talaxian next to Neelix, and Kess just has this one little comment where she's like, Neelix, who is this woman? And I always, I don't know, I just kind of thought that was kind of interesting because it was, I don't know, kind of jealousy, maybe. Little, little I might be reading into that entirely wrong, but I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Scratch your eyes out. So yeah, I was wondering about the jealousy thing too, that Kess, and I couldn't remember at what point in season three, which is where I'm assuming this story takes place, um, at what point did she and Neelix break up? Right. Um, 
in yeah, in the episode where the doctor goes all crazy and tries to murder that guy, she just mentions it. She's just like, oh, I'm sort of interested in this new person. And the doctor's like, does this have anything to do with your breakup with Neelix? But yeah, it wasn't explained. I didn't think in the series what the heck happened. Well, no, because it was like a few episodes before that when Cass's body was taken over by that rebel leader or something. And while the while that guy was in Cass's body, he he she breaks up with Neelix, and then she runs off from Voyager to be the leader of that rebel group. And, but then when she oh, comes back and oh, they yeah. remove that that other personality out of her, I assume they would still be back together. But like the very next episode, which is that one you were talking about, they're broken up. Like it was right. official. Okay. Well, you know the the breakup is not as surprising to me as them getting together in the first place. I mean, look at Neelix. I mean, yeah. on, and Kess is really cute. It's like, I, I never got that part. Well, she was young. She well, well he, did, he didn't what, save she her. She was young, from... two years old? She's pretty young. How old is she again? Two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, he also did save her from the... Okampa? No, she was in Okampa. Saved her from the Kazon, right? Right. Well... So she owes it to him to be his girlfriend. Of course. Oh. <laughs> well, how many times have Star Trek characters saved damsels in, in distress or something? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the reason. But Neelix is really cute. No, he isn't. He's he has very, a very nice. Cute cat. He's a very nice guy, but I mean, come on, look at him. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird because this girl is kind of falling all over Neelix, and it's only in these few panels, and then she. I mean, I don't know what she was trying to do. Distract him while they try to take him. over the ship? Manipulate know. him. Maybe she thought he was the captain or something. Maybe she thought she could use her feminine wiles to uh, <laughs> use him as a, as a pawn. Anyway. Yeah. Obviously, these people are very deceptive. So and it, not at all like yeah. Talaxians. I thought all the Talaxians were nice people like Neelix and those people that he ends up with at the end before Voyager goes back home. I thought I thought they were all nice people. Oh, oh well. well, we met a few bad ones in the in the first yeah. season. Did we? Yeah. yeah. There was that one that was uh, on the prison planet, and he was mm-hmm. like a drug dealer or something, a smuggler of some sort. Yeah, I like that episode. That episode's pretty good. Yep. So, so like people. am I the only one, or is the electrical creature concept kind of silly? Well, the whole the whole dimension. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very it's just a huge amount of suspended disbelief you got to swallow on this one. But these creatures are just electrical looking amoeba looking guys. Yeah. And yet there's still a crystal building <laughs> over here. Who <laughs> lives in the building? Exactly. How do these energy beings what 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 possible use could energy beings have for these buildings? I think that this dimension is really Krypton, and it's <laughs> after Krypton, all the people were dead, and these energy beings are just what's left over. You just got to make yeah. everything fit, don't you? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's obviously a joke. But Chakotay does say that the build, the the planet that they're on might be this dimension's version of the asteroid belt that they were just in, which I thought was kind of weird. So are they saying that in that other dimension, the planet didn't blow up, so there's no asteroid field here, but the ion storm is really just part of that planet, and it's those energy creatures? Yeah, because they just look like like little pieces of ion storm. Oh, little bubbles. Right. 
I just thought it was unnecessary. Just we're going to make it fantastical just because we can kind of thing, and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, well definitely... his, like, communicating with them doesn't make sense, like, at all. No, no. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He's like, I'm just going to put some pulses out, and somehow I'm going to figure out what they're saying back, and they're going to understand us, and it just made no sense. Oh, exactly. I mean, how long did it take for, uh, like, back in, in Enterprise? I know this is further in, in the future, but how long did it take for the Enterprise crew to try to talk to anybody? Um, you know, it's unless you're a linguist or something, it's pretty hard. Unless they've got these uh, universal translator programs built into the tricorders mm-hmm. that can do it really fast or something. I mean, other than that, it just seemed ridiculous how quickly Chakotay was able to uh, get it to talk to them. And then they're all friendly. We're just trying to help you. We're just trying to help yeah, you. Yeah, we're trying to protect you from yourself. It's like, what you, the heck? You're kind of ret- <laughs> yeah. You're trying to hurt us into a into a prison here. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I got one last question. Did the Talaxians mean for this quantum fissure thing to happen, or was that just completely random? Oh, I think it's totally random. That's what I thought, too. But then at the end of issue number one, when they're about to get beamed up, he says, is everybody yeah. ready? You know what to do. And then when they're getting beamed over, they go into the quantum fissure. So I thought, is it supposed to be on purpose? It didn't seem like it was supposed no. to be on purpose. I think what they expected they is they'd end up on Voyager. Yeah. I think that's what they were talking about. When we get on to Voyager, we we take hostages. I think that's what they were talking about. Basically. Yeah, when I when I read the first one and then I started reading the second one, I thought the same thing that Donovan just said because I didn't know I didn't know they were going to take hostages obviously until the end. But yeah, like I thought that they were trying to be beamed up and then they did something so that they would be sent here, based on the but, beginning of the second one. But, ex- but except except to fill the story and make it longer into a two or three parter, two and a half parter. What what yeah. purpose? would the Talaxians have to go to this alternate dimension? Uh, no, I agree with you 100%, but it's not until yeah. you get to the end of issue number two that you realize that, oh, this whole issue was just an accident. Because yeah. all the way up to that <laughs> point, I kept thinking that there was some reason why they went to that quantum universe thing. And then uh-huh. it wasn't until the very end, you're like, oh, that was just an accident and a kind of a waste of time. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's filler. You didn't even have to read it. You could have just skipped this episode and gone to spot three and then... Exactly. You could have made this an, an issue and a half story arc and be done with it. Yeah. And and, and avoided the side trip to Oz. <laughs> or Krypton. We don't know Or yet. Krypton. <laughs> or Krypton. <laughs> it does look like Krypton. Well, no, let's not say that because Krypton looked cool and this does not. Well, this, some of the crystals... This looks like Oz. You're right. This does look like Oz. Like the Emerald City. Well, some of the crystals coming up out of the ground... Uh, the fact that crystals are coming up out of the ground is Krypton, but the shape of these crystals don't look very uniform and... You know... I mean, it's, it's, some of the crystals coming out look like they're curvy as opposed to, uh, you know, very straight facets, which you'd normally see in a crystal formation, but... And the artwork... The artwork of the city itself reminded me a lot of some of the gold key stuff we read. Yeah. So <laughs> I totally see this being a crystal city of some sort in those gold key stories. Right. It came out in the early 70s. Anyway. Anyway. Anything else for issue number two, you two guys? It was great. Really? 
Was that sarcasm? Very, very good. Yes, very sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, you'll fit in just fine. That's good. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's move on. All right. Ready for number three, Case? Okay. So Voyager issue number three, Marvel, its name is Repercussions. And it came out January 1997. On the cover, we see the Doctor in what looks like a Renaissance-type costume. We later learn that this is the Beowulf program, holding a sword and looking as if he's about to use Force Lightning. We also have Ensign Kim, Tom Paris, and Captain Janeway just behind him, studying his face. There's a blue cougar next to him, which looks like it's made out of glass or water, and in the background we have a massive ship in the ocean next to a medium-sized castle. The taglines on the cover say, The Doctor with Delusions of Grandeur, or The Holodeck on the Fritz. And the credits are pretty much the same, except for I noticed the addition of Sergio Molina as the anchor. So we start out with Taurus, Tuvok, and Neelix confirming the last issue that the Talaxians put their ship into the Ion Storm to lure Voyager to help them. They are working for the Trabe and are only after Voyager's Alpha Quadrant technology. The Talaxians demand to be taken to engineering. They call the Voyager a Federation Wondership. Taurus exchanges places with Neelix as the Talaxian hostage. Tuvok and company, Kess and Neelix, and random crewmen are locked into the transporter room, and Tuvok calls for an intruder alert and contacts Janeway. Janeway changes the shipwide password, and the Talaxians shoot Chakotay nearly fatally in the shoulder to convince Taurus to open the door to engineering. And she says that they have picked up some bad habits from the trade. Ensign Kim tells Janeway that the phaser blast and someone was ha- hacking into the security lockout on the engineering door. Bellana opens the door, and Captain Accrue screams, Voyager is ours, as the door is open to reveal Tuvok with six other crewmen holding phasers. The Latoxian asks how Tuvok has escaped, and Tuvok replies, it would not be tactically sound for me to reveal my message, even to a vanquished opponent, and leads them to the brig. Chakotay and Torres head to sickbay. Chakotay compliments Tuvok on his site-to-site transport. They get to sickbay, where they exchange in comical chatter and get shot with phasers. <laughs> About getting shot with phasers, sorry. The doctor stops mid-sarcasm and falls backwards. Taurus calls Janeway and informs her that the doctor has fainted. The doctor disappears with a S-I-Z-Z. Kim and Tom are on the holodeck for some reason. Uh, the energy spikes are causing the programming to go crazy, and the doctor is on the holodeck. The holodeck has mixed Janeway's gothic hollow novel with the, the doctor's Beowulf one. Beowulf, the doctor, and Tom Paris are sword fighting. The doctor refers to Janeway as the queen and informs her that he is here to do battle with the monster Grindel. The doctor begins a long speech while the holodeck starts showing very odd images from the cover art. Janeway tells Kim and Paris to investigate the energy spikes which must be interfering with the holodeck. Tuvok contacts Janeway and tells her that random systems are failing and restarting and that the Talaxians have escaped from the brig. Voyager is attacked by the Trabe ship with no way of responding. Tom, Kim, and Janeway are cornered by rogue Talaxians. Tom tricks them, and Voyager is shaken by the trade blast. They struggle for phasers, and a security team arrives, stunning the Talaxians. Janeway orders Torres to find out what the problem with the doctor and the security failures have in common. 
The doctor suggested that the gel packs are responsible since they are the only organic component of Voyager and that many of his subroutines are controlled by them. He blames the ion storm for poisoning the units. In engineering, a band of Talaxians is still at large and have taken control. The doctor is still going a little crazy. He is making a castle out of red and blue blocks. How cute. Torres and Kes have to cure the gel packs from sickbay. What about Chakotay? Like, yeah, where is he? Captain Nagarum threatens to kill, who is a trade leader, he contacts Janeway, threatens to kill the engineering crew if Janeway doesn't give over the technology. Torres informs Janeway that the doctor has been fixed, and she orders Tuvok to fire at will. The trade vessel flees. The Talaxians get the hangout in the Voyager's brig, and the doctor is back to his old self, as sarcastic as ever. The end. Cool. Resolution. So the, the trade, they they were only in, what, two episodes of Voyager? Yeah, a few. They they act like they're these big bad guys, but I remember them kind of... Weren't they the slaves of... Kazon. Or no, no, no. They they had the clay, Kazon as slaves for years, and then the Kazon eventually revolted and, and took over all their power, right? Right. So, anyways, I, I just I was trying to remember who the trade were because I couldn't remember them being a, a big threat in the uh, Voyager series. But, yeah, and I didn't remember them. Uh, I believe their ship is pretty much the same as the Kazons because they both got their technology from the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, because the Kazons stole the technology from them. Right. Right. When they mm-hmm. became when they got their freedom, whatever. I just thought it was funny why they didn't just use the Kazon instead of the Trabe. Yeah, I agree. I thought I thought that it was going to be the Kazon, and then it was. The, I thought it was like maybe the Kazon in a Trabe ship, you know, posing to be the Trabe. But yeah, I was surprised also. A little more complicated than expected. Right. But and, trying to mix it up, I guess. I guess so. So, does anybody know what that crystal cougar on the front on the cover is supposed to be? I, I assume it's a reference uh, to Beowulf. The story. Uh, okay. Even yeah, though I never... because he says, um, <clears throat> sorry. No, go, go ahead. Um, he at the time that it shows the cougar, like he, like the line that he's saying, uh, "Tiger, tiger," something okay. or other. But yeah, so he's referring to a tiger, and that's just like the what the hologram, like or holodeck, decided to put out. Tiger, tiger, burning bright. In the forest of the night, so I'm assuming that's what that's from. Okay, well that makes sense. Makes more sense than a crystal tiger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah. It's, well, it's well, you know, it's on the fritz. Yeah, when it's on the fritz, when the doctor's going a little wacky, he's quoting all kinds of different things, including Nightingale Woman, from where no man has gone before. Oh, okay. Yeah, he. he... My love has wings, thinly feathered things with grace, an upswept curve and taper tip. <laughs> From Gary Mitchell. Yeah. Right. So when um, I read that, I, I was like, question. what the heck? I, I, I thought it was kind of cool how they slipped that in here. What were you saying, Casey? Um, I had a quick question. The part where they lock Tuvok and Kess and Neelix and all their random crewmen into the transporter room, like, why didn't they take their comm badges? I would think that that would be common sense. Well, why would you need to? Because they didn't destroy the comm of the, within the the transporter room. Yeah, yeah, why didn't they shut them down more? It's like they just were like, okay, we're gonna block you here, not really. Are are these Talaxians the 
dumbest aliens in the Delta Quadrant or what? Do you lock well, somebody in a transporter room? It's like, jeez. Yeah. yeah, and I know that they don't have transporter technology, but they Still. at least knew enough about it to prepare themselves when they were being beamed over. So, right. yeah, you would think that you would keep them out of that room instead of yeah. locking them into it. <laughs> And, I like then, how they, like, how did you possibly get out of there? Like, well, you know, oh, I, I can't explain my crazy, you know, logical methods to you. And so, it's like, okay. So it's bad enough they, they, they couldn't put two and two together in the beginning and not lock them in a, in a stinking transporter room. But then even at the end, when they had lots of opportunities to think, hmm, how'd they do that? We locked them in a transporter room. Hey, we locked them in a, tra- oh, a transporter room. It's like, they still didn't get it. <laughs> And then what's worse is, okay, so those guys aren't used to thinking about transporters and what they can do, but the, the transporter chief, the transporter chief says to Tuvok, how can we stop the Talaxians from here? We're trapped. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, bottom of the barrel from Starfleet Academy with this guy. Oh, I didn't even catch that. That is funny. That is true, yep. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of weird. Well, I thought it was funny that the Talaxians fell for Paris going, oh, my stomach, and then <laughs> what's wrong? And he gives them an uppercut. And, and as so do- funny. Oh, the pain! <laughs> you know, w- one thing that I thought was also kind of... Um, in the past... I, sorry, I'm sometimes a little negative, but in the past I've complained about dilithium crystals, how dilithium crystals were used in the original series as the internal threat of the ship. You know, see, oh, the ship's in trouble. We can't go anywhere because the dilithium crystals are cracking again. Hairline fracture, whatever. But in Voyager, their dilithium crystals were these bio-neural gel pack things. Yeah. Which, when I was watching the show originally, I never understood what benefit those stupid things were, but they (laughs) seemed to keep on going on the fritz for some reason. And causing them problems. It's like, get rid of them. And didn't they eventually? I mean, didn't we? As the series went on, I don't remember hearing about those as much. Yeah, I think they downplayed them after a while. Anyway, so I never knew what was the big deal about the darn things. They seemed to cause more trouble than benefit. So I looked it up on the Starship datalink.com, which says... Bioneural systems organize information more efficiently and perform complex procedures at very high speed. And it goes on to say some stuff about how basically it's got like, I don't know if it's quite human, but it's got neural networks in in this biological pace thing, and it's supposed to speed up ship's uh, computing functions greatly. So there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I know know how slow I think, so I don't know about that, but... (laughs) Yeah, I never liked the sick bio gel packs. Right. Yeah, it happens a lot where it gets like a fever and crap. Right, exactly. But what's funny, way before Voyager came out, there was a um, novel by Brian Denny, I think his name was. It was a Han Solo novel. came out after Star Wars but before Empire Strikes Back, but... Anyways, it it was an original novel based on Han Solo, and in it... He has to do this like makeshift fix to the Millennium Falcon, and he puts these bio gel pack type things inside of the Millennium Falcon. And you know that whole that whole story is about how faulty these gel packs are versus you know hardwired technology. I always thought it was funny that you know years and years later Voyager came out and they started bringing up this gel pack um, 
technology thing back. Right. And I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure they use it in other science fiction uh, stories, but those are the two that I know of. You? That's interesting. Well, I'm very familiar with organic ships. I mean, Moya is organic in Farscape. Right. And also in the uh, Blake 7 series, the Liberator is organic to some degree because it can repair itself and all this kind of stuff. So I'm familiar with, like, organic ships. But this was... One thing I did think that was kind of interesting about gel packs is this was like a step along the way to having a more organically based ship instead of just all hard technology. So I, I thought it was interesting that they started making moves in that direction with Voyager. It just seemed like... They just used it as their dilithium crystal crutch. Agreed. Anyway. Casey, any other note? Any? What's your next comment? I don't have a next one off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, if you want to think about it, I have one. Yeah, go ahead. Follow me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm waiting to say it. So, you know, they had the, uh, the, the hollow novel and the Beowulf programs mixing in. I just thought it was cool how they had the little boy and the little girl from... Those two episodes of Voyager, um, I think they were Persistence of Vision and Learning Curve. Those were the two episodes of season, I think it was two. What I like about it, and it's more of just a, I think it's funny, is the little boy who was in that show, those two episodes, was uh, Thomas Decker, who went on to play John Connor in the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles, and he also was in the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot movie. But that was him as a little boy. Who did he play in the Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, he played the... One of the guys that got killed? Mm, yeah, he did get killed. Because <laughs> that would describe a lot of people. Sorry. I <laughs> uh, forgot his name in the show. He was basically the Johnny Depp type character. The oh, dark the hair. Glenn? Yeah, Glenn. That was his name. Ooh, good. I've never, seen, I've never seen the new one. I've seen the old one. <laughs> a lot. More they, than once, yes. The uh, the Nightmare on M Street movie was good because a lot of the characters had the same first name, but they all had different last names than they did in the original. And they weren't quite the same characters, so you could watch it as a reboot or you could just watch it as a continuation of the existing franchise. I thought they did a pretty good job with that. Hmm. Anyways, cool. but that's not what we're here to talk about. No, we're not. He was also in a random episode of the Weird Al show. Huh? Oh, that long-lived show? So, Casey, did you think of something? I didn't know if maybe you guys wanted to, because I don't know what the heck he's talking about here. Um, Tuvok says, rabbit in the briar patch. Yeah, the tar yeah. tar baby? Nope. You never, you never, you're, you're young, so you probably, it's probably not politically correct, and that's why you don't know about it. Oh. There, There's the old story of the, uh, it is the Tar Baby, isn't it? Isn't that the name yep. of it? Yeah. Well, so there's a whole Aesop's fable, or Aesop, Aesop's fables, right? Is that, I is mean, there's there's a whole series of stories. Yeah. So basically, the the Briar Patch thing is there was a rabbit that he was trying to get away from some bad guys, and they were gonna beat him up or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, whatever you do, don't throw me into the Briar Patch." <laughs> and then they and he basically tricks them to do that because he lived in the briar patch so when they threw him in there he just scuttled off and he was okay he's in his own element you're right but but they did it thinking that he was gonna get hurt because he was like oh whatever you do don't throw me in that briar patch 
Right. Nice. Okay. Uh, there was a Disney movie called Song of the South. Um, ah, right. That that had all of those in there, but uh, it's and one of the banned movies because banned. It's not very politically correct because I mean they're old like um, Southern, like not really fairy tales, but more of just moral tales, kind of. But they were from like old South. Yeah, it's for younger people. Yeah, but they they came they were created back during the you know the slave days, so the, the movie kind of has that yeah. mentality, and and I guess they uh, Disney frowns on that now. <laughs> and and but they still have the ride at Disneyland. Right. Yeah, and they still have, they yep. still sell shirts with the characters on it, the Brer Rabbit and stuff. They just can't show the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, thank you, Donovan, for explaining that for me. They also make a reference to the Briar Patch in um, Star Trek Nemesis, so it, it, it's been used many times in the Star Trek universe. Oh. All right, anything else, Ken, on your side? Nope. Nope, I've made my comments. Let me see if I have any. Heroes and Demons was the Beowulf episode, as you already knew. I'm good. Okay. Oh, oh, I do have one other thing. Yes. So we haven't reviewed it for the show yet, but... Um, this kind of holodeck on the fritz with the doctor being in this type of garb with a castle behind him and everything reminds me of a um, comic book, a Voyager comic book called Voyager Avalon Rising. So eventually we'll get around to reviewing that one. But in that one, it has Janeway in a suit of armor, uh, but it kind of has a um, Starfleet tint to it so she's still kind of wearing the the Starfleet logo it looks really cool and then uh, there's this one part where they're on a ship and the ship is called Voyager but it's a big wooden vessel and in the sails is the the Federation com badge logo hmm. and uh, it just that ship behind her on this cover and the castle behind me just reminded me of that that issue which is which is pretty good came out Wildstorm uh, early 2000s you should uh, look it up. Yeah, that one looks really... Like, Donovan sent me the picture of what he's talking about, and it looks really cool. Way better artwork than this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's leaps and bounds. Yeah. And that one's really cool, because basically what it is, is it's a it's a planet that's basically kind of like a, a medieval-type Earth, but it, they're, they're slightly alienized. And the only person that can go to the planet is the Doctor, and so he's beamed down there, and he's telling them these stories about uh. Voyager. And he's telling the story like normal, but they're seeing it in their mind's eye in context of what they know about. So when he's talking right. about the ship Voyager, right. they envision this giant wooden ship. And you know he's talking about his fearless ca- uh, female captain, and they're seeing her clad in this golden armor. It- it's a really good issue. Oh. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. You should do that one. I thought about doing it for this one, but I kind of was curious to see these uh, these Marvel ones. Yes, I made the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, Donovan. No. Yeah. Yeah. But I told you, this, this first couple of Marvel Voyager issues had a little sen- uh, sentimental value because I bought them with my sister. Sure. Even though she could care less about Voyager at the time. That's funny. Go. That's cool. So that's why I picked this one. That's that's nice. That's a good excuse. 
Yeah. For a reason. Sorry. Anyways, um, anything else so we can jump into the elsewhere in Star Trek and nope. wrap things up? Let's do it. By all means. All right, so just to go over what uh, episodes of Voyager were coming out these three months, I'm pretty sure this is season two. Maybe, no, I guess it's season three. Well, unfortunately, I didn't do any type of research to remind me of what these episodes were. So the first one was called Tattoo, which I think is kind of like a flashback episode to Chakotay getting his facial tattoo. Is is that you're remembering as well? Yes, and it's very bad. I didn't like it. I wasn't a big fan of that episode. Okay. But yeah, it's a... They go onto this planet where the sky gods are from. Like, oh, they right. visited the rubber tree people in Earth. That's right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's not I, terrible. I, it's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I love how they always have to try to, like, somehow link stuff from the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, and sometimes it works, and then sometimes it does not. Yeah, like, oh, look, there's a flying car in space. Like, what the heck? It's like, why is in the Ferengi, you know? And it's, yeah. Now, the Ferengi one was good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that they go to such things <laughs> to try to figure a way to throw them in there. Right. You remember that episode at all, kid? No. Okay. False prophets. Yeah. yeah that, uh, that Ferengi episode was one of my favorites. Now, now the uh, Amelia Earhart one, which is the one that has the truck floating in space, I think it's called the 47s, it's not that good. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it was the first episode of season two, and, and <clears throat> not that great. All right, so the next episode that came out during this time was called Cold Fire, which was the Voyager coming across the female caretaker, and she was all mad at Voyager because she blamed them for the caretaker's death in or episode one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember liking that one over too terribly much. Yeah, it wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. The little girl was kind of creepy at parts, but aside from that, I didn't care for it too much. Then the next one came out in November 20th, so this would have been their Thanksgiving episode, was called Maneuvers. And it was the Seska episode, where I think that's the one where she captures Chakotay and gets his DNA and tortures him and all that stuff, which ultimately plays out in the story where she has his baby, supposedly. But not really. Wow. You're not remembering any of this, Ken? Oh, yeah. I, I remember. He just yeah, hates that, 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 that Seska was, <laughs> a, uh, was, a, was an interesting character. I hated her. A good, I liked her. A good villainess. I thought she was a good villain. Yeah. I was sad when she died. Well, well, you're not supposed to like her. Well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I realize this too. A good villain is somebody you can't like, but it's... I didn't like her even in the villain way. I, I just wasn't a big fan. I was like, oh, a Seska episode? Ugh. And I, <laughs> I, I liked how they introduced her as a normal person, and it wasn't until halfway through season right. one that you found out she was actually a bad guy. Yeah. And, and not only was she a bad guy, she's a Cardassian bad guy. I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was well done. Anyways, the next episode, Resistance. This one I don't remember at all. This is an elder... Oh, 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 no, this is a great one. Where that elderly man believes that uh, James... I love that episode. Oh, that is a great episode. Yeah. (laughs) It is really, really, really good. 
And you'll like this, Ken. It was written by Michael Jan Friedman. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that was a fantastic episode. Who's Michael Jan Friedman? Uh, Michael Jan Friedman is a writer of Star Trek The Next Generation comic books. Oh, okay. Cool. He's also written quite a few novels uh, for the original series and Next Generation. Okay. All right. And then the next one is called Prototype, which is the one where... Oh, this is the one that has the robot, where it's basically uh, uh, the robot. Taurus brings the robot back to life. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that episode, too. It, it was a really good episode. And That's one a, of my favorites. I like that one a lot. The first time you saw a... Uh, beam out through a point of view shot. So it shows somebody looking at Voyager floating in space and then the transporter effect takes place and then he reappears or, you know, what he was seeing as he reappears in the transporter pad is a good episode. Didn't they do that uh, when Broccoli in Next Gen was having uh, fears of transporters or something? Oh, you're right. So it was the second time we saw that. (laughs) I didn't see that Voyager episode. That sounds very cool. Oh, it's great because she she create she fixes the robot, and then he you know sees her as his creator, and he gets her to basically create these hearts because it was like his, this whole not really a species, but there's this whole group of these robots that are dying because they can't create hearts for themselves. What is in essence a heart, and she finds a way to do it, and then they. They get her to fix a whole bunch of them and then come to find out uh, they were the ones that actually killed their creators. They're bad dudes. Yeah, I really like that episode. It's very, very, very good. That's like my favorite part is yeah, he was like, like, well, who killed your creators? So like, oh, we did. <laughs> and they're two warring robot people. And yeah, it's good. It's a good episode. That does sound good. Nice twist. Yep, so uh, let's see. How far do I have to go? Next episode was Alliances, which is coincidentally the Trape episode. That's the one where we find out about the Trape being the Kazon's masters for all that time, and then how the Kazon overthrew them. And Janeway works with the Trape leader to try to reunify the two people. And then he betrays her and tries to kill the Kazon leaders. Right. Uh, not a bad episode, but wasn't overly great. Mm-mm. But, yeah. Now, the next episode, one of my favorites of all time, and we've talked about it many times on the show, Threshold. <laughs> <laughs> Where Lieutenant Paris breaks the Warp 10 speed record. I don't see what the big deal is. I think it was fine. The episode itself was great. It- the ending, and, and maybe you'll agree with me, is what ruins it for me. The uh, yeah, the having the babies and then just leaving and leaving the babies on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> well, but, yeah and, and like we've spoken before on this, the idea that they accelerate evolution into some kind of a yeah. big salamander, salamander things. <laughs> yeah. And that's bad enough, but they're able to get them back. To yeah. normal form, it's like, so, no. oh my god, really? Wow, that, wow, that's that seems. Odd. Yeah, what's unfortunate is that the episode is actually really good. Paris, yeah. be, Paris being driven to break the speed record, and then the whole transformation thing, kind of being like, uh, like the Jeff Goldblum fly movie. 
it was good. You know, he's slowly transforming into something else, and you don't know what's going on. It's just the the explanation as to why he's transforming and the resolution just ruins the show. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Brian, uh, or actually his name is Brandon Braga, he uh, wrote that one. Yeah. And I saw a recent interview with him. He's promoting the new Terra Nova uh, TV sure. series. Right. Which looks great, one. by the way. But did you ever actually see it? No, yeah. is it good? Uh, is it I a- haven't seen it yet. I've got it recorded, but I haven't actually watched it yet. The few people that I've heard commenting on it on uh, on podcasts weren't too, weren't too up on it. Oh, really? I've talked to quite a few people, and they really liked it. So I was going to uh, – I think I – think, Fox on Demand has both of them, so I was going to give them the first two episodes to watch this weekend. Yeah, I definitely want to see it. It looks really good. Right up yeah. my alley. I want to see it too, but. We'll see but anyway, so uh, at a Ill, press conference. Ill executed. All right, go ahead. I was talking over you. Say again. Uh, we'll just see if it's ill executed. Well, it's yeah. by, by the guy who did Enterprise. It has to be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, di- didn't Banyan Braga also do. Flash forward. Oh, did he? The, the one season wonder? Yeah, one of a couple one season wonders Banyan has done, unfortunately. Oh, see, I didn't know that. But anyways, back to what I was saying about this episode, Threshold, Shoot. is that while he was doing his press conference for, for the Terra Nova, that someone asked him what was his uh, – what one story or one thing of Voyager would he undo if he could? And he said that this episode was it. <laughs> I would. That's what I'd say. <laughs> Even if it, yeah, most probably mostly because it was so, you know, picked apart by everyone. You know, I'm sure he would pick whichever one everybody thought was the worst. Well, not only that, it was the worst. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I don't the know. end I, I don't anyway. Know the other ones that that he did. did yeah, but yeah, it, it's definitely supposedly the worst Voyager episode. Oh, is it? It's, yeah, it's Miley's favorite. But. And, and again, I think it could have been one of the best episodes because you know, Voyager and all of Star Trek work good when they're kind of riffing off of something else that's popular. There's some bad ones like when Voyager tried to do the Jurassic Park one that was horrible, where they find that dinosaurs created space technology and and left the planet Earth and are now in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> that, not seen oh this. man, I did not see that one. Those. That episode is one of my least favorite. I think it. I think I like it least than. I think I like Threshold better than that episode. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah. that's a that's a little bit of like space above and beyond. I'll take your word for it. Well, that oh. that was from the create from some of the creators of the X Files. Okay, uh, and that was a one season wonder. And <laughs> the theory of that is you're you drop you're dropped in the middle of a war between Earth and uh, and another species that nobody's seen, nobody's sure about, but they're superior technology and they're they're getting their butts. Oh, I'm sorry. They're getting uh, beaten badly. And anyway, towards the end of the first season before it's canceled, you come to find out that they are reptilian and they are former inhabitants of Earth. So same kind of idea, it sounds like. Okay. So they left Earth on ships for whatever reason and then, then that gave uh, you Yeah, you, you guys to. need to watch that episode. I can't believe you haven't seen it, Casey. Well, I haven't seen every Voyager episode. <gasps> I thought you had. I told Ken you did. 
Yeah. Uh, I, you lied. <laughs> no. So what was the... I, I watched it as a kid when I was growing up. I would use, I used to watch Voyager before I went to bed. And then when the series ended, I just kind of stopped watching it because I was like, okay, it's done. And I just stopped watching it for the longest time. And it wasn't until sort of, you know, semi-recently that I've sort of gotten back into it since they put it on Netflix. And I've been watching them on and off when I can. But I've been watching them from the beginning, so. That's great. Right. Between Netflix and this Amazon thing, it's it just great. They got so much Star Trek stuff out there available whenever you want it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of a lot of people starting Voyager and watching it all the way through now that it's on Netflix. Lots of people. And, and, and you know, you talk to them, all right, well, are you watching the other ones too? And they're like, no, I'm just watching Voyager because it's the one I never watched, but I was always kind of interested about. And I, And I just find that funny that, that seems to be a pretty common a common scenario. Yeah, I have a bunch of friends, actually, that I go to college with that watch Voyager on Netflix also. And random people, not even, like, people I typically hang out with, you know. People I wouldn't think would be into Star Trek, really. Maybe maybe that's why people like Voyager so much. It's because it's more accessible to the less nerdy people or so. I don't know exactly. Did she just call us nerds? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, she's a fan too, so that's her favorite. Yes. That's her favorite issue, and you're um, and you don't consider yourself a nerdy. Oh, I definitely, I definitely am. In other <laughs> ways, though, not as not a not a crazy trekkie, but not not. <laughs> well, in some ways, in some ways, I definitely saw Voyager getting back to the original Trek blueprint. You're on a ship. You're going to new planets, you're out there traveling, as opposed to some of the directions like Deep Space Nine took. Right. Where it was a space soap opera, and it was the best. <laughs> <laughs> it was on a space station. You didn't necessarily go out venturing to other places, uh, except, of course, when the wormhole opened up and they went to the other quadrant every once in a while. But So just, just real quick, uh, that episode that I was talking about with the dinosaurs is yep. entitled... Distant Origin, and it was written by Brandon Braga. Ah. <laughs> so, he, so he's one of your favorite writers then now. Well, I mean, I, I know that he's written a lot of stuff, So, yeah. but it's just funny that the two episodes that I think is bad, he, he well, had involvement in. But he well, also he... wrote all good things, and I mean, he, he's done a ton. Of... Yeah, and, and wasn't he one of the writers of uh, Generations? And First Contact, yep. Yeah. No, he, oh, he's... He... Oh, first contact. Also, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, oh. he's yeah. He wrote forty-eight episodes of Voyager, twenty episodes of Next Gen, yeah. thirty-seven Enterprise, and two movies. So right. you can't judge these those two episodes on on everything that he's done. So it's very very prolific. I just thought I just brought it up as a joke. That's funny that the the worst ones are by the same guy. Yeah, but the best ones are too, because like I said, he did. He, had, he was involved in First Contact, and he wrote one of my favorite Voyager episodes, Flashback. Where oh, yeah. Back to the Excelsior with Captain Sulu. That's cool, yeah. So, anyways. All right, uh, we're kind of meandering a little bit. We are. So, um, we usually go through the Expanded Universe, but uh, there wasn't a lot of Voyager stuff, so we'll just do the Expanded Universe for this time period uh, when we do the next-gen or original series comics that came out the same three months. Oh, okay. So that being said, we'll go ahead and close it off, and uh, hopefully you had a good time, Casey. 
Oh, yes, very enjoyable. Thank you. And maybe we'll bring you back next time we do a Voyager episode, if, if you're interested. Yes, if I didn't mess up too bad, sure. <laughs> Not at all. No, I, I, we've done much worse. That, that's, <laughs> oh, believe that's, us. That's the miracle of editing. <laughs> well, good. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Oh, thanks. And join us next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Later, everybody. <laughs> Rock on. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review let's get the hell out of here